Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's Attorney, over 60 judges, our Water Reclamation District Commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. ChicagoVotes.com. Ben, stop talking about Borat. We got a show to do. (laughs) Sorry, man. (laughs) Love Borat. Borat 2. Borat 2. Yeah, a lot of that coming up today, everybody. All right? Be prepared. A lot of Borat 2 talk. (laughs) It's almost like we could picture what the podcast would be like if it were in 2006, you know? Four at two. Four at two. Not one, but two. Maybe maybe Ben will have a Borat impression for today's show, but your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday. October 23rd is just moments away. Oh, my Lord. Someone's on a Harley back by my apartment. <laughs> Holy cow. <Whoa. laughs> I'm going to go back to the studio. All right. Today's show brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, Ben, you have a song of the day today. Um, Kathy uh, said, uh, wanted me to use her song of the day yesterday, but I don't think you know this song. I don't think this is in your uh, musical timeline. Uh, dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Oh, money for nothing, okay. get my kicks for free. That's the TV repairman, right? Yeah, 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 all right. TV repairman, money for nothing, get my kicks for free. Now, wow, wow. Wow, not only did you know that song, you did a decent job of... Uh, singing it ah you know back in the 80s i was a rock star people don't know that i was in a group called dire straits ever heard of it that's all a lie the ben jarofsky show starts now (laughs) it is friday october 23rd and live from my apartment in his attic this is the ben jarofsky show Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Borat Saves Rudy Friday. And here's why. It was debate light. 
<laughs> let me try that again. Oh. It all right, let me night. note that, edit that out. Okay, all right, go I'll ahead. keep it in for the podcast. Oh, okay. They should okay. experience that, but uh, anyway, where were we? Uh, taking one, two, three, go. <laughs> it was debate night last night. Daddy Trump versus Grandpa Joe. All around the country, millions and millions and millions of households turned to the showdown. Huh? <laughs> was, <laughs> was my household one of them? Well, I have a confession to make. <clears throat> But before I make this confession, let me read the very funny opening to a column in today's bright one by Mark Brown. That would be Mark Kipkino Brown, so named for the great uh, runner, the great uh, yeah uh, marathon man from uh, Kenya. Uh, you know, uh, Mark Brown's been known to take Cricket Hill not one, not two, not three, but fifteen times. The man loves running Cricket Hill. I'm going to try uh, it this weekend, maybe. Okay. Oh, if you do it three times, you're lucky. You're no Mark Brown. All right, hold on. Let me get to Mark Brown's. Should have been better prepared. Hold on. Where is it in this newspaper? Oh, here we go. This is a pretty funny uh, opening by Mark Brown. Quote, after the debate, uh, after the debacle three weeks ago, I wasn't sure I'd even watch the last presidential debate of 2020, let alone write about it. Not only had my mind been made up for four years, that's a good line. Not only been mine, not only has my mind been made up for four years, I've already voted. Why put myself up through why put myself through the torture? Excellent question. Then the boss called. To my surprise, it wasn't nearly as painful as I expected. Yeah, the boss called. I know the feeling, Mark Brown. Oh yeah. I know that feeling. My boss was bugging me too. Then that boss would be, you know who? The man they call Dr. D. Ben, oh, sit up straight. <laughs> sit up straight. Come on. And, Do and the show, shame. damn it. And shave and clean up that room. It's a mess. Oh, good Lord. Since he left, folks, it's a mess. Dennis, I promise this weekend I'm going to clean the room, okay? And I'm going to shave this weekend. God, I'm really, it's like, it's the, it was the surgery, folks. I haven't shaved since the surgery. Anyway. All day long, Dennis was bugging me. He was sending me texts. He was telling me, of course, you're going to watch the great debate, right? <laughs> of course, this is history. You have to watch it. And then at about 8.15, he sent me a text. You're watching this, right? And I text back, yes, sir, I'm watching it right now. <laughs> but just between you and me, folks, I wasn't watching it. Oh, don't Okay, be I'm right here. Dennis. You weren't watching it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Dennis, uh, I think there's a package for you on the corner. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> really? I didn't hear anything, but I'll go look. Sure. Uh, don't be too judgmental, people. Yes, yes, I host a political podcast. And yes, yes, I'll be talking about the debate all day. And yes, yes, I'm supposed to be on top of the news. And yes, yes, I was known to have chided a few of my friends. Remember this, D? A few of my friends for not watching this summer's Democratic debate. You remember that? Hey, I'm remember back. That? There was no package. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, must have been the next door neighbor. Mm. Really? But folks, I could not put up with, I just have to make this confession. I could not put up with 90 minutes of gaslighting from Donnie Trump. I'm brilliant. The economy's great. Our reaction to COVID was awesome. Without me, millions more would have died. I'm great. Hear me? I'm great. You're not. I'm great. I can tell you've been working on that impression. It's actually not bad. I'm Donnie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will say this about young Donald John Trump. The man is a relentless self-promoter. He may be the greatest self-promoter I've ever seen. No wonder those banks keep extending him credit, even after he goes bankrupt. 
but sorry, folks, I'm not a banker from Deutsche Bank. I could not expose myself to any more gaslighting from Donnie Trump. By the way, I have to pause here, D, uh, to commemorate, commemorate the memory of one James Randi. I don't know if my, any of my listeners are old enough to remember him. Uh, he's everything Trump is not. He exposed frauds and charlatans. I used to watch him back in the day on the Johnny Carson show. Let me read. Hold on. Where are my newspapers? There we go. Excellent obituary about James Randi, a magician who debunked paranormal claims. He dies at 92. Uh, it was an obituary in today's New York Times. I'll read this to you. What roiled Randy's blood uh, and was the driving impetus of his existence was pseudoscience in all its immoral irrationality. Quote, people who are stealing money from the public, cheating them and misinforming them. That's the kind of thing that I've been fighting all of my life. Magicians are the most honest people in the world. They tell you that they're going to fool you and then they do it. In some ways, I would have more respect for Donald Trump if he just openly said, I'm fooling you. I'm lying to you. And yet you believe me anyway. Anyway, James Randi, let's pause to remember you. Okay, back to the bait. So, no, I didn't watch it. Instead, I watched Borat. That's Borat 2, the sequel. And all I could say, people, is run, don't walk to watch it. If you like Borat 1, that is. And even if you didn't like Borat, Borat 1, run, don't walk, if only to watch the Rudy scene. And that would be the scene involving Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, Trump's right-hand guy, and the guy Trump sends to Fox TV to defend him all the time, that Rudy Giuliani. I'm sure you heard all about this scene. Uh, it's been the talk of the town. It's all over Twitter and social media, but let me set it up. In the movie, the character Borat, has a daughter, and she's played by an actress who is 24 years old. But in the movie, that character is 15, and she tells everyone she's 15. And Borat tells everyone she's 15. And in the scene with Rudy, she's pretending that she's a television reporter. And for reasons I'll never understand, somehow or other, the movie's producers convince Rudy Giuliani to sit for an interview with this TV reporter. I have that in air quotes, D. TV reporter who's really a 20 <laughs> folks if you can see <laughs> sorry <laughs> with this TV reporter who's really an actress who's 24 years old but is playing a 15 year old are you following me folks in other words Rudy Giuliani thinks she's 15 years old and somehow or other they talk Rudy into sitting down for this interview and the interview takes place in a hotel room in New York City and she's shamelessly flirting with him occasionally putting her hand on his knee and giggling. <laughs> and he's getting all giddy, like men tend to do when they're being flirted with. One more time, she's pretending to be 15, and Rudy is, I looked this up, D, 76 years old. Although he may have been 75 years old when this scene was shot. How about that, D? How's that for accuracy, okay? Uh, well, technically, Ben, he was 75 when the scene was shot. All right, 75, 76. It's all basically the same thing. Damn it. So then they go to the bedroom. I'm not making this up, D. They go to the bedroom. Okay. <laughs> and America's hey, Phyllis mayor. is calling. Can you answer that, please? My goodness. Oh, sorry. Phyllis, how many times have I told you not to call me? Hey, they're going to raise my taxes. All right, Phyllis, calm down. You're not even on a pension. 
Phyllis, of course, is the star of the uh, commercial that um, the billionaires of Illinois have created to convince geezers to vote against their self-interest. And apparently it's working all over Chicago and Illinois. Geezers are going, oh, my God. They're going to raise my taxes and my retirement income. I better vote to shelter the income of billionaires. Springfield politicians, oh, they promise they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional uh, amendment passes. Uh, oh, God. Geezers, you're too smart for that. All right, where was I? Dave? Oh, back to the bedroom scene with America's mayor and this 15-year-old girl. Now, I know what you're going to say, D. You're like, uh, Ben, she was actually, the actress is actually 24. A good point, but she's playing a 15-year-old, okay? Giuliani doesn't know she's 24. He thinks she's 15. And Giuliani, America's mayor, lies on the bed, and he puts his hands down his pants, ladies and gentlemen. And then, well... I won't tell you exactly what happens next, only that it involves Borat bursting into the room. Now, Rudy Giuliani has said there was nothing wrong or inappropriate about his behavior, but I'm telling you right here, right now, ladies and gentlemen, if it wasn't for Borat, Rudy would be in a heck of a lot of trouble right now. That's all I'm saying, D. Anyway, I watched that movie last night instead of the debate. Fast forward to the morning. And I get the call from Dennis, the doctor. Hey, did you watch that debate like I told you? <laughs> Sit up straight, man. Come on. We got a show to do. Uh, yes, I did, sir. Uh, every second, sir. My favorite part was when Biden meant to say proud boys, but he called them poor boys. I was like, what? Shrimp sandwiches? Uh, uh, and then we laughed because, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes laughing is the only way to keep from crying. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramon Hussein will be here, and you can bet your five dollars <laughs> she watched the debate. Yeah, she wasn't goofing off watching Borat, too. She watched that debate, too, and she's got all kinds of notes ready to talk about it. And by the way, just for the record, after Dennis chastised me for not watching the debate, I've watched clips of the debate, read accounts of the debate. Thank I'm God. Ready to discuss the debate. <laughs> what a dumbass debate. I'm sorry, D. I just got to put it out there. That's the, one of the worst debates I've ever not seen. <laughs> anyway, got a lot of conversation with Ramana about politics today. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man we lovingly call Dr. D with the news. Springfield politicians, <laughs> they promise they won't tax return. Phyllis? Uh, Phyllis! Come no, on. Stop Good it. Lord, she kept calling you during your intro there, bud. I know, and she was calling me last night. Are you watching the debate? Oh, Phyllis, I'm watching Borat, too. Okay, MAGA, bye. <laughs> Phyllis. Oh, my God, you're shameless, Kenny G. You don't want to put Phyllis up to that. <laughs> Kenny G's like... <laughs> I love his music. <laughs> No, wrong Kenny G, Phyllis. Okay. How's it going, everybody? My name's Dennis. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, here's this weekend's Benny J bonus interview lineup. Remember, these are available at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. If you're already a subscriber, you've seen these. Give it a listen this weekend, won't you? Live streamers. 
Go download them. Go find them and subscribe. All right. Here's this weekend's lineup. <laughs> On Saturday, well, Ben's going to be talking more about Borat with the one, the only, the director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, Mr. Sergio Mims. Ben, give everybody a preview here. Well, we haven't done the interview yet, but we're like uh, straining at the leash to do it. Uh, it's really going to be about Sasha Baron Cohen fil films. We're going to talk about Chicago 7 as well as Borat. And there's a lot of similarities here because in each movie is revisionary. Each movie is made up. You know, in Borat, obviously, there's this fictitious character that Sasha Baron Cohen plays. And he goes out in, into the world and interacts with real people uh, and gets them to act stupid. And so that exposes what they're really like. That's the whole premise of Borat, as you know. And as I just explained, one of the stupid people that he interacts with and he's caught behaving really stupidly is Rudy Giuliani. So we're going to be talking about that, uh, the Borat flick, and also uh, the Chicago 7 movie. Aaron Sorkin rewrites history. I'm all over that movie. Each passing day, D, I get more upset about that movie. Uh, and I'm not, I actually do not know what Sergio's attitude uh, is about Chicago Seven, so it could be it could be interesting. We could duel. You know, we oh do these God. shows from time to time where um, we talk about movies, and we don't always agree on the movies. It's sort of like Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel back in the day. Uh, you you poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a tease right there. Will Ben Jarofsky call Sergio Mims a nincompoop? Or Fun vice versa. Or vice versa. <laughs> Who knows? You're going to find out when you download our Saturday bonus interview with Sergio Mims. On to Sunday, reader chef Mike Sula. Oh. Ben talked food. And during the interview, yes, I got really hungry. Yeah, Mike Sula is the brilliant food writer for the Chicago Reader. And uh, so we started off talking uh, in the, we've done this interview already. I, I wanted to talk to him about Pritzker and Lori Lightfoot getting tough with restaurants and the impact it's having on Chicago area, restaurants and bars. Uh, Mike Sula knows the restaurant scene like nobody else. The guy is always eating out, ladies and gentlemen. Brilliant writer. And so we started talking about that. And one thing led to another. Next thing, and always giving us uh, tantalizing descriptions of the various food items that he's been eating. He still can eat, ladies and gentlemen. I know that Pritzker and Lightfoot are closing down in dining to a certain degree, but you can still get carry out. I urge everybody who has disposable income to help the restaurant industry. We want to keep these restaurants afloat until we uh, come to some kind of cure for the pandemic. This is a tease to a conversation I believe Dennis and I will have be having in a few minutes. Uh, but Mike Sula, uh, he offers up some great uh, restaurants uh, and some uh, delicious sounding. Remember the, uh, what was it? It was like an egg roll. Oh, dude, I've had egg rolls on my mind ever since we've done the interview. Uh, it's a place in Bellwood yes. that has jerk chicken egg rolls. Yeah. Ooh, mm, and I'm so hungry. This one's a little interesting. Peach cobbler egg rolls. Yes. So that's just, I, I think we're going to uh, have Sula come on more often just to talk about the d delicious food he's eating. The guy loves food, ladies and gentlemen, and he's uh, very good writing about it. It turns out he's pretty good talking about it. So Mike Sula, uh, that was a lot of fun doing that interview with Sula. And Chicago Reader's Mike Sula brought to you by Egg Rolls. That'll be available on <laughs> Sunday. And finally, on Monday, it's the return of Senator Robert Peters. We've yet to do this interview, but Ben, what do you plan on uh, asking Mr. Peters? Uh, the debate, state of politics, fair tax. Robert Peters, of, ladies and gentlemen, was Bernie Sanders' man uh, in Illinois for the primary. 
and as such, I'm sure he is aboard the Joey Biden bandwagon. I don't know how much he's aboard the. Do you notice how I'm, I'm like starting to sound like Barack Obama? I, I couldn't help it. No, don't flatter and, yourself, pal. But <laughs> but it's because here, follow me in this folk. It's it's it must have been subconscious because Robert Peters is a state senator from the same Hyde Park area district that Barack Obama once represented. Ooh, oh, my God. Ooh. It's like, where's James Randi? He would just prove it. See, James Randi, oh, can I go back to him, D? Like, people, like, there'd be coincidences that would happen in people's lives, and they would think there was some kind of special, magical force that was creating it. And James Randi would say, no, it's just a coincidence. So was it just a coincidence that I was, as I was talking about my upcoming interview with Robert Peters, that I began doing it in uh, Barack Obama, uh, Dr. D? Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) uh, Get out the reefer. Bearded Uh, Ben Jarofsky is trippy, (laughs) I tell you. So that interview will be coming up. Robert Peters, uh, Bernie's man in the state of Illinois, got a lot of interesting things things to say about politics i uh heard you talking about egg rolls <laughs> i uh, wonder if they have a uh italian beef egg roll no what was it when you always go peanut butter egg roll Pe- uh peanut butter egg roll Pe- peanut butter egg roll uh when they go low we go high well that's a sucker's game if i ever saw one but okay barack obama All right, local news. Let's do it. No public events scheduled for our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, mayor. Good question. (laughs) And, you know, maybe that's a good thing because it looks like the mayor has a small problem that she may need to nip in the bud. And as a wise governor once said, big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Nadir Issa. The Chicago Teachers Union is accusing city officials of illegally refusing to bargain over school reopening conditions during the coronavirus pandemic as a return to classrooms for some students is expected next month. The union's claim comes in its third unfair labor uh, labor practice complaint this academic year and also alleges Chicago public schools officials have canceled several scheduled appointments for a union hired inspector to visit school buildings and conduct air quality checks. Uh, We have a quote here from CTU Deputy General Counsel Thad Goodchild. He said, quote, CPS today formally told us that it is going to refuse to bargain with us over the decision as to when and how to safely resume in-person instruction. That decision is a mandatory subject of bargaining under Illinois law. Their position is absurd. He said Uh, Goodchild also pointed to an identical parallel situation in August at Western Illinois University, where the faculty union alleged the university refused to bargain the terms of its reopening. The Illinois Educational Labor Relations Board, which will review the CTU's case, sided with the union at WIU. All right. Goodchild is his name. Goodchild. I never met that guy. Goodchild. 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 Sad. Sad. Goodchild. He's probably been dealing with people doing stupid jokes about his name, so I'll refrain. Uh, but, uh, you know, what? Do I, what's my reaction to this, D? I'll tell you what my reaction to this is. I just, 
I have to plead with Lori Lightfoot here, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Come on, let it go. That 2019 campaign, you got to let it go. Lori Lightfoot has some strange hang-up about SDG, Stacey Davis Gates. She won't, like, let her in the same room. She won't talk to her. And I know this because, like, a lot of – I got a lot – I've said this before. I have – I know a lot of people who always bad-mouthing Stacey Davis Gates to me. And she sort of comes on this show all the time, so I don't see that side of her. I don't think it even exists. I think it's a bizarre leftover from the 2019 campaign where CTU, and I, I, I openly admit it, they went too far in their love and adoration for Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, but that, come on, get over it, Lori Lightfoot. So this notion, when you open the schools, this is a precarious time. It's like, I've watched this throughout the country, all over the country, D. Schools open and then they close. There's like a spike and then they have to close. And even when they're open, not all the kids are going to the schools. They have staggered schedules. They're bending over backwards to try to protect everybody from COVID. And I also understand that Dennis has talked about this uh, at great length about it, what he saw with his own nephews and niece uh, back home in Alton, that education vis-a-vis the Internet is terrible. Yeah, everyone's struggling, the students, the teachers, the parents. It's terrible. It's no it, it, it's no replacement for income. And let's can, can we take a moment now? Holy, this is radical. It's funny. Teachers get bashed routinely. You know, shut up, take the money. Don't talk about classroom issues. We know how to run things. Your job is to shut up and do what we tell you. That's the attitude of mayors toward teachers. But all of a sudden, you can't go to a classroom. All of a sudden, teachers, oh, my God, this is horrible for the children. They can't be in the classroom with the teachers. Well, what is it, Chicago powerful people? Are the teachers worthless or some of they important? No, you got to get your messages straight. You're sending out mixed messages. This revulsion that the powers that be in Chicago have for the teachers union is really irrational. Just telling you that, folks, it's irrational. And so I'm just asking our mayor to put aside whatever lingering resentment she has toward the teachers union. For yes, I agree, Mayor Lightfoot, they went too far. They, you're not as bad as they said you were, and Tony's not as good as they said she was. But that was how many years ago, D? Over a year ago. Let it go. You can meet with them. And you know what? I'll give you a parallel. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll probably say it many more times. When the NBA, National Basketball Association, for our non-sports fans out there, when the NBA wanted to reopen its season in a bubble in Florida, where all the players would be sequestered in a hotel complex and they wouldn't be allowed to leave. Chris Paul, the head of the union, met with, I I forget the dude's name from Disney, ESPN, and went for a walk. And they just, on their own, sort of outlined the general parameters that they would follow. And then the union worked with the NBA on it. Why can't Chicago's mayor do that with the leader of the Chicago Teachers Union. Why must it be, as always, the Teachers Union is this enemy? And you see it in corporate Chicago, civic Chicago, editorial Chicago, the Tribune, 
Mayor Lightfoot, it's really important that you open the schools and don't budge. Don't let the teachers union tell you what to do. It's like, yes, we have another opportunity to destroy the Chicago Teachers Union. That evil entity that controls the city. They're so all powerful. You ever notice they always go in the newspapers, the all powerful Chicago Teachers Union. I'm the, I'm the one. They, I always go the all powerful mayor. But the Teachers Union, man, I do not understand how a liberal town like Chicago with a great union tradition would like just ter- use the teachers union as its enemy. I see it all the time. I see it absolutely all the time. You're swimming against the tide when you defend the teachers union in this town. Very bizarre attitude that the city of Chicago has towards its teachers union. So D, it's ridiculous that it's come to this point where it's gonna be uh, lawsuits filed and uh, grievances filed and hearing officers for something that they should work out together on their own. You know, it should be like, we're all in this together. We gotta figure out the best solution, but no. Gonna file law, and then it's gonna be a threat of a strike. Crazy, crazy D. Don't get it. Don't understand it. But then again, there's so much about Chicago, even though I've lived there since 1981, that I do not understand. CTU President Jesse Sharkey would like to weigh in. And we view that this is a civil rights issue. You know, we think that the conditions in our schools, we think that support for our students that need trauma support, social workers, psychologists counselors um, oh. <laughs> all right i knew that was coming <laughs> hey come we on think that adequate services quit interrupting the guy uh, yeah. the man has something important to say okay trucker trucker joe <laughs> more lightfoot news and right now we would like to take this time to commend the great work done by the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman of the Chicago Sun-Times. She recently had an interview with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. It was on Thursday, and she delivered a hell of a lot of news here. Uh, you can now download her interview with Mayor Lightfoot, by the way. It's actually her 100th episode. Congratulations, Fran. And it's available right now at the Chicago Sun-Times website and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Hey, like our show. Two things that we would like to touch on from the interview. First, she said they were com- they were uh, going to be talking about this. <laughs> Hold on, my screen. There we go. Okay. Oh my goodness. We'll edit this one. Out. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> this will be edited out <laughs> live streamers. Yeah. First, it's so interesting the stuff that gets edited out. Like when Dennis makes a mistake, edit out. When Ben makes a mistake, no, just kidding. It doesn't happen that way. <laughs> First, she said they were coming in her budget address this week. Another important but painful choice that we present in this budget is personnel reductions. Layoffs. Mm. The France Spielman headline reads, Lightfoot vows to confront city government's sacred cows, such as three employees per garbage truck. And no, this has nothing to do with the Illinois State Fair butter cow. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a State Fair tradition since at least 1922. <laughs> That's good, man. I got to give you credit for bringing that one back. Mayor Lori Lightfoot vowed Thursday to confront two sacred cows of city government, three employees per garbage truck, and minimum staffing rules for Chicago Fire Department equipment. Jim Tracy, 
president of the Chicago Firefighters Union, Local 2, could not be reached for comment Thursday, but he has previously acknowledged he and Lightfoot are, quote, miles apart on a long-term contract, and he's made a strong case for maintaining the minimum staffing rule that requires at least five employees for every piece of fire apparatus. Tracy said last month, quote, it can't be done by two or three people. It has to be by five persons, period. We cannot do our job without it. Lightfoot strongly disagreed. She argued Chicago taxpayers can no longer afford to carry excess costs that can only be characterized as feather bedding. She said, quote, I don't like taking the path of least resistance on any issue, and I'm not afraid of being bold and challenging us to get out of our comfort zone. All of us, me included. And so we are going to be looking at ways in which we can make city government a government we can all be proud of that works for our modern time. The same goes for the size of the city refuse collection. A cruise, it's still three employees on a garbage truck, at least until those collective bargaining agreements expire in 2022. Lightfoot said, quote, we've got to look realistically about what makes sense for Chicago, but that is something that we will definitely be taking a look at. We're living in a world where there can't be sacred cows. We've got to think creatively and boldly about how it is that we continue to deliver services to our residents but do it in a way that is fiscally responsible and take advantages of a lot of different efficiencies. We got Steve Mariucci here. He's the vice president of Laborers Local 1001. He responded and he argued that cutting the size of city garbage crews is not realistic in a dense city of alleys loaded with overflowing garbage cans that breed a healthy rat population. Here's the quote from Mariucci. He says, yeah, tell her to call everybody in Chicago and tell them they can only have one garbage can in the suburbs everybody just has one garbage can in chicago they got three two people can't live with one they fill five of them up come on <laughs> that was good d um by the way before i engage in this dennis you've noticed when you have a beard i've just noticed that like, like there's a tendency to stroke it Did you notice that okay. like i'm I'm talking about my beard, all right? I'm like, God, I'm listening to you, and I'm, I find myself stroking the beard and going, I'm a wise man as I stroke my beard and think about this. I do it all the but, time. You know, yeah, I know. It's I'm going to shave this thing as soon as I can, ladies. I can't stand this. I don't know how anybody can have a beard, but uh, anyway, I got distracted there. I humbly apologize, D. Um, let me just say this, Dennis. Th I Nothing ever changes in Chicago. This is an echo of an argument I first heard made by a gentleman named Marty Oberman. Nobody remembers Marty Oberman uh, back, but back in the uh, 80s, he was the alderman from the 43rd Ward in Lincoln Park. Uh, and I was a young uh, journalist just entering Chicago, D, and very naive. And I did a long interview with Marty Oberman, one, perhaps one of the longest interviews that ever ran in the reader, which is saying a lot. But he was opining. He was a good government. He's a quintessential good government reformer from Lincoln Park. Very earnest young man at the time. And he was saying that we there are just good government techniques, a good government uh, efforts that the city should employ to reduce waste. And one of the things he said, D, was to take that extra man off the garbage trucks. This is 1983? 
And Lori Lightfoot is a descendant, a political descendant of that Marty Ober, that good government school sort of, they represent upscale wards on the north side. That's where they come from. That's their base. Wards that the people aren't dependent on those jobs. And at the time I was young and I was naive, D. I was like, oh, I'm sympathetic to that. But I, I've changed. I'm like, you know what? Those are good jobs. Those garbage men jobs pay well. There's a pension. There's health benefits. It's a direct investment in the city because those laborers have to work in Chicago. I think it's far more profitable for the city to have that extra garbage man on the truck who has to live in Chicago than give $2 billion to some developer who doesn't live in Chicago or may not live in Chicago and can hire work crews that don't live in Chicago to build Lincoln Yards that we don't need. You talk about a direct impact in the city. If you're on that garbage truck, you have to live in Chicago. So you're paying rent in Chicago, you're paying taxes in Chicago. So I always viewed it as an investment or I have viewed it as an investment. I, I don't understand why our mayors don't see it that way. Cause we have this divide in the city and that good government strand lives on. We have to be efficient, Ben. We see it today right now in the argument that the, like Andy Shaw is making against the fair tax. Oh, we, we cannot tax the well-to-do until we make government more efficient, crack down on corruption. Ah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I've never understood it. I don't get it. I, um, I feel as though uh, that it's far better of investment of our property tax dollars to employ someone to be a garbage man than it is to take those tax dollars and give it to a developer just to build a development that would happen anyway. So this antagonism that mayors have to the guys in the garbage trucks, I don't get it. D, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's healthy for the city. I don't get it. And by the way, I would more appreciate it if the mayor would like join the chorus for the fair tax. Anytime you want to join. But uh, progressive taxation is off the table, I guess. So uh, D, that's going after the sacred cows and the firefighter. Oh, my goodness. With the firefighters. I've been hearing for years, firefighters. There's too many firefighters. I remember like, let's lay off firefighters because fires are down. Well, what if there's a fire? <laughs> you know, that's what they're there for. Well, there could be a fire. You would want a fire. No, let's get rid of them. It wasn't a fire last week. Let's just get rid of them. I once had this. I, D, we're going back in time. One time on the old Mays Jackson show. Okay. I was on the old Mays Jackson show a long time ago. Back at VON. And Danny Miopolis. It was like Danny and I were like debating this point. And he was saying, you know, the fire, <laughs> we were on opposite side. We don't see eye to eye at absolutely everything, D. But I've never, I've never bought into that. I like to have the firefighters around. You know what I'm saying? I think it's like, you know, it's a good thing to have. And by the way, speaking of great jobs that pay well, living in the city. So this thing where they always want to cut the workers. Let's make the workers you know, pay for our budget woes as opposed to, I don't know, progressively taxing the well-to-do. Oh, can't do that.
Right? So we're always looking out for the well to do. But the garbage guys, sorry, guys, you're on your own. My dad used to be a garbage guy. And let me tell you, buddy, you haven't lived until you rode on the back of one of those garbage trucks. Holy crap, it's awesome. Wait, you, you actually rode on the back of one? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Badass, yeah, yeah, I was a kid. I was like, was oh, it, my isn't God. Isn't kind of scary? Well, yeah, a little bit, but it was fine. You know, it was just, you know, down the street a little bit. We weren't like on the highway or anything, you know. <laughs> Slow down, Dad. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that song came from Highway no, to Hell. No, it's badass. Uh, all right, Lightfoot. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, shout out to Kyle on the live stream chat. Uh, Kyle says, boy, Ben doesn't shave for a week, and all of a sudden he thinks he's Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's true, Kyle. You know... The unexamined life is not worth living. <laughs> I stroke my beard and think about that. Lightfoot also discussed Chicago Inspector General Joe Ferguson, Joey F. And that doesn't have a nice ring to it at all. Uh, hinting strongly that she would not reappoint Ferguson when the Inspector General's term expires next year. Here's the quote from Lightfoot. Quote, Joe Fergan, Joe Fergan, Joe Ferguson <laughs> has been in office for a really long time. He's to be commended for the really good and hard work that he and his team have done on investigations, but particularly on the auditing work. But, you know, I'm somebody who favors term limits and I don't think people should stay in office indefinitely. I don't think it's good for them and I don't think it's good for the organization that they lead. Mm. Well, this was in the article that Fran Spielman wrote, and then Fran did an outstanding job of pointing out all the differences of agreement uh, between Joe Ferguson and Lori. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Lori Lightfoot. I hate to get on her bad side, D. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're fired. Oh, it's been known to happen to me in the past. You're fired. How long would I last in the Lori Lightfoot administration, D? Oh, like a three seconds. Yeah. Who hired this hippie? By the way, no one ever said that we were on the good side either, by the way. Well, she came on the show. Remember the old <laughs> yeah, days? Yeah, remember the old days. The old days, days, the old days yes. I remember, I remember the old days. Yes, yes. You know, like, it would be like uh, Hillary Clinton interviewing Lori Lightfoot. Excellent question, Ben. My God, excellent question. <laughs> that was the old days. By the way, a reminder, tangent within a tangent, City So Real, Steve James movie about the um, 2019, 2019 mayoral election is coming out soon. Uh, and there's a lot of vintage footage of uh, Mayor Lori, excuse me, uh, candidate Lori Lightfoot. So you could, if you watch that movie, you get a chance to uh, sort of contrast the candidate Lori Lightfoot uh, with the mayor that uh, she is. But uh, yeah, I, um, I mean, I, there's no term limit on being an inspector general. I mean, I don't know. Being an inspector general is a thankless task. And, and Joe Ferguson is a quintessential good government guy. I mean, I, picking a fight with the good government. Okay. I, I, I mean, I just got finished castigating her for always fighting with the teachers union. I understand why she fights with the teachers union from a political standpoint. I do. I have to admit. I mean, I, it doesn't make sense in terms of the best interest of Chicago, in my humble opinion. But, you know, she wins over Civic Chicago. She wins over the Tribune, the Sun-Times editorial board for whatever reason. Doesn't like the teachers union either. So she, they love it. When she, so there is like some political benefits for it. But Joe Ferguson, I'm mad at him. 
He's, he's your good quintessential good government guy. He's always his reports to weigh. Oh my God, the city worker. You know, there's always these horrific stories of like city workers running scams on the side while they're working. You ever know, like a city worker supposed to be only working 40 hours, but bills the city for 60 hours. These outrageous stories get your blood boiling. You know, that's what he does. He's been doing that for a long time. All right, so he wasn't out in front of the TIFFs. Okay, you know, all right. Hey, no one's perfect. But Lori's not exactly out in front of the TIFFs either. Every mayor that gets in the office soon learns, oh, this is the, the honey bucket, the honey pot, the slush funds. So, you know, I, I don't know why she's picking on Joe Ferguson other than he's embarrassed her right. with uh, some of his reports. I think Fran made that clear in her uh, article today. And so that's it. He's just like Stacey Davis Gates. You're gone. I mean, uh, she says here uh, she's uh, somebody who favors term limits. People shouldn't stay in office indefinitely. Did she make a comment on uh, Madigan back when that was going on? Uh, oh, that's a good point. I don't recall. <laughs> no. Uh, no. You like that big point? I, I, Come on, BEZ, hire me. Yeah, BEZ, got to give him credit. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> That's hey B E Z. Hey, W T T W did you hear that? Come on, I got a magnifying glass over here. I'm ready to do some work. Wait, what's the magnifying glass? I'm for? an investigator. I'm looking into stuff. Oh, very, that's true. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Sherlock Dr. D. Come on. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about uh term limits for uh, Michael Joseph Madigan. But see, but but Lori Lightfoot, let's face it, she wouldn't have been elected mayor uh if it wasn't for Ed Burke getting indicted. We all know that. Uh it's just a contrast between Lori Lightfoot the good government reformer type and Ed Burke, the sleazy democratic machine type was enough for the voters. So that helped her. So again, you know, it may be, so again, I can see why she would be saying, Oh, you know, well, Ed Burke, you gotta go. But yeah, Ed Burke was already indicted <laughs> when she was fighting with him. So it's another thing. Michael Joseph Madigan still runs, uh, the state house. So yeah, very good point, Dennis. That's a good one. Damn. I wish I had thought of that first. One more story in the Chicago news. Wait, hold on. Former Illinois Governor Rob Blagojevich said what? <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Juan Thomas Two Joints Shuba. Rob Blagojevich lauded President Donald Trump's economic policies and criminal justice reform efforts during an event on Thursday that was hosted at the billionaire's namesake downtown skyscraper by a controversial black Republican. Uh, Blago said to a crowd consisting almost entirely of people of color, quote, I'm one of your homies. Some of whom donned caps promoting the QAnon conspiracy theory and bearing Trump's signature Make America Great Again catchphrase. Blagojevich's appearance at the Trump Tower event came just over eight months after the president commuted his 14-year prison sentence for corruption. Following the event, Blagojevich continued to endorse Trump's re-election bid and businessman Willie Wilson's long-shot campaign, Shuba's words, not mine, against Democratic Senator Dickie D. Dick Durbin. Blagojevich explained why he was at the event, saying, quote, I talked a little bit about how important it is for leaders in the African-American community to no longer just assume that the Democratic Party is on their side. Too many Democrats like Dick Durbin have taken them for granted. 
Yes. If you recall, we have to give credit to young Justin Horowitz. who's on our show. Uh, how long ago was that? It was a while back. And uh, he was saying, you watch. Rob Bogoyevich will be a key ally for Donald Trump. Rob Bogoyevich will be employed by Donald Trump to win over the black vote. And that is in part why uh, Donald Trump released Rob Bogoyevich from prison, commuted his sentence, and why Rob Bogoyevich immediately, I mean, he wasn't home 24 hours before he saw, what did he call himself, D? A Trumpocrat. I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. The guy in the background gets me every time. Trumpocrat, that's right. So this is what he's doing. And I actually love this. I absolutely love this. I've said this many times, uh, that with by uh, flirting with Trump, Rob Bogoyevich wooed Trump uh, in much the same way Rudy Giuliani was wooing that 15-year-old in uh, Borat. And uh, so Bogoyevich was wooing Trump by uh, sending out the message that he, Bogoyevich, had set up by the, the same cabal of evil prosecutors that was setting Trump up. Trump bought into it, hook, line, and sinker, uh, and released uh, Bogoyevich from prison. And uh, immediately... Republicans had a flip-flop in the state of Illinois. In fact, I'd say that uh, Trump releasing uh, Blagojevich from prison, oh, excuse me, this this is before uh, the election, Trump courting Blagojevich and vice versa really undercut Bruce Rauner. So I always thank Trump for that. It's one of the few good things that uh, Donald Trump has done, D. You know, uh, flirting with Rob Blagojevich in 2018 so that it was no longer an issue. Blagojevich's relationship with Pritzker was no longer an issue that Bruce Rauner could use. So I, always, I kind of, you know, thank Donald Trump for doing that. And so here we are, about two years later, Bukovic is out of prison and he's making the rounds somehow or other. He is going to be the tool that Donald Trump will use to get black support. I think this is a stretch. I don't agree with Horowitz on this. It's, it's like it's an effective tactic. I don't think Donald Trump will get more than if 2% of the black vote uh, in Chicago. If he gets 2%, I think it'll be a miracle, more than 2%. I mean, just uh, the, just a quote here. I'm one of your homies. Like, I'd be in the crowd like, dude, I don't know you. You don't know me. What are you talking about? We're not friends. Absolutely. Right. It's so condescending and patronizing. Uh, but that's Bogoyevich. I mean, he, on this front, remember what is it, Bogoyevich said he was, uh, at one point he said he was blacker than Obama. I don't know if you remember that. It was years ago. Ooh. And uh, Bogoyevich got to start with Eddie Verdoliak, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to remind you that ancient history nobody remembers but me. Eddie Verdoliak, leader of the uh, City Council 29, that fought Harold Washington every step of the way because, God forbid, a black man would be in charge of the city of Chicago trying to exploit white fears and resentments about black people to get more political power. That Eddie Verdoliak, Rob Blagojevich got to start with him. And then Rob Blagojevich, I can't even say the name, Rob Blagojevich, the shrewdest political move he ever made was teaming up with Richard Mell. Yeah, that Richard Mell, 33rd Ward Committeeman, a Democrat who fought Harold Washington every step of the way, who stood on his desk in 1987 to block Tim Evans from being mayor. That Richard Mell? That was Rod Bogoyevich's entree into government. 
So suddenly he's the friend of the black community because what? He tried to sell Barack Obama's seat, got caught, went to prison. Somehow or other, that makes him the friend of the black community. I'll tell you what, if that's Trump's entree to the black community in the state of Illinois, D, I don't think he's going to get 2% of the vote statewide. Forget the city of Chicago. But I got to give Tommy Schubert credit. Man, the guy covers so many different things. You know what I'm saying? He's breaking reefer stories left and right. And somehow or other, he found the time to get over to this um, bizarre meeting last night. uh, (laughs) Watching the debate with Rod Blagojevich. Uh, and black people in QAnon hats. Man, the QAnon is a freaky thing. Mm-hmm. D, have you been following the QAnon movement at all? Oh, I mean, I've, I've made a, a few uh, casual trips on YouTube to the QAnon. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is insane. Yes. And by the way, not to uh, talk more about Borat, Borat, but there is an incredible scene. I need to talk about Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Borat moves in with a couple of QAnon people and lives with them for five days. And the interchanges between <laughs> like, listen, man, JFK Jr. is still alive. Yes. <laughs> he's still alive. And he's coming back for Trump. Oh, God. I don't know what's worse. I mean, I don't know. Uh, black people in a Make America Great hat. Guys, you know what that Make America Great means, right? You, right? Like, go back to the days of Jim Crow. That's what they're talking about. Whatever. To each his own, D. To each his own. Well, from the former Illinois governor. I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. To the current Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Springtime. Love it. Okay, it's the fall time. <laughs> I love it too, but... When did he say... Was that when it, the, com- the commercial where they were asking for his favorite things? Is yeah, that where that's yeah, from? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to win a Grammy. Is that the one? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Springtime. Oh, my love God. It. <laughs> okay. Oh, good times, D. 2018 gubernatorial race. Don't you miss it? Yeah, I actually do. I actually do miss it. We, we had a lot of fun with that. Today, the governor toured the Woodlawn Restaurant at 11 a.m. Fancy. He was also there to highlight the Business Interruption Grants Program for places affected by COVID-19. And, of course, he will be delivering his COVID-19 press briefing 2.30 at the Thompson Center. Much like the mayor, we got a few small problems brewing at the moment for Governor Pritzker as well. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Yeah, we're seeing a second rise in positive COVID tests in Illinois. And with that, Governor Pritzker's five-phase strategy to reopen Illinois has gone into action. New mitigation efforts, like no more indoor dining or indoor drinking at bars, are now in regions across the state. Tighter restrictions went into effect today here in Chicago and for surrounding counties as well. And Ben, unlike our last major spike back in March, Seems to be a lot less people on the same page with the governor's five-phase strategy to safely reopen Illinois, especially those in the restaurant industry. Thursday, we mentioned the Illinois Restaurant Association is now pushing back at governor's latest mitigation efforts, saying that the extreme measures outlined by the governor's team will result in the permanent closure of countless restaurants statewide, eliminating thousands of jobs and desolating communities inhabited by millions of residents. 
Now, many restaurant owners in regions 7 and 8, which include Will, Kankakee, Kane, and DuPage counties, say they don't know if their businesses can survive these new mitigation efforts. And some are saying they might disobey them. Here's Rosemary Siana, owner of the Italian Pizza Kitchen in Roselle. Shout out to ABC7 Chicago for the super short audio. Please don't sue us. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We are fighting for our livelihood and everything we've worked for. Lots to unpack here. And by the way, I urge everybody to check out the Mike Sula uh, in, interview I do because we get into this a lot. The impact of um, the pandemic on the restaurant industry, the impact of the stay-at-home orders, et cetera, and so forth on the restaurant industry. D, I'm over the map on this one. This is one of my infamous all over the maps, uh, because on one hand, I have a tremendous amount of sympathy for uh, folks who run restaurants. I, Lord knows I go to a lot of them. Uh, on the other hand, man, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and I mean, I don't want people to get sick. I don't want people to infect uh, their grandparents or you know, more vulnerable loved ones. I don't want people to die. So it's this, I mean, there are no easy answers. And I think uh, you've made this point many times, Dennis, and it's a really good one. Like people are coming to terms uh, with COVID. They kind of, after a year of it, well, it's not a full year, it's since March, whatever that is. After all these months of it, uh, people have come to, like, they have a sense of who's vulnerable and they have a sense of how vulnerable they are. Uh, and these are logical people. I'm not talking about like the, the Darren Bailey's of the world just go around saying, I don't need to wear a mask. You know, I'm just talking about just everyday uh, normal people as opposed to, um, you know, political nutcases. So we've all kind of make these accommodations uh, with COVID. And I think that uh, a lot of the restaurant owners feel as though, it's too extreme to force them to close down, that they can protect uh, their um, customers and that they it's not a danger, a health danger to their customers. And they don't want to go out of business. So I, I have sympathy to them. But ultimately, there has to be some kinds of protections or we're just going to see the spikes that occur all the time. I see uh, the airline, what was it, Southwest Airlines just announced that they're going to do full seating. And they always come out, well, the science says X, Y, Z. No, you guys are just, they throw out the word science just to like win people over. The fact of the matter is you lost a lot of money because you reserved seats, you blocked off seats, you didn't sell the seats, and now you need to make that money to stay in business. I understand that. And this is why, to a certain degree, I keep hammering home this point. The government has to step in and we need a stimulus. We need relief. We were talking about this with Mike Sula. Like you can't expect these, uh, the restaurant industry to survive this without some kind of assistance, but half of the political spectrum in our country, the Republican party won't even consider the stimulus plan. So what we're just supposed to, okay, open up restaurants, fully bars fully exposing people to the the virus just because we want to keep restaurants open is this is this where we're at 
So I think there's a lot of irresponsibility uh, on the part of the Republican Party here. I put it on them because they're they're not acting in a logical, reasonable manner. They got this knee-jerk reaction to the stimulus bill. Sam Zell just gave a speech somewhere about, I'm really concerned about the deficits. Well, what about the people dying? So, I, D, I'm very sympathetic to those restaurants. Uh, and um, I agree with it, with you. I, there will be a lot of resistance. It's not just not going to be Darren Bailey resisting. It'll be yeah. restaurants in DuPage, restaurants in Will County, restaurants all over. Uh, they'll just say, Give me a ticket, JB. You know what I'm saying? They go, give me, and we're gonna see those showdowns. We're gonna have reporters. Uh, here I am at Billy Bob's Diner in Will County. Right. I mean, I guess we should have saw it coming, right? The Restaurant Association made the statement yesterday, and here we are today. More restaurant owners like, all right, if they got our, if they seem to have our back here, let's just, you know. Yeah, they're gonna do. There's gonna be open resistance to this, and I don't know. I'm not personally. Geezer that I am, I'm not comfortable with uh, indoor dining, a lot of indoor dining these days. Uh, but I, you know, to still do, I'm doing my part with carry out and takeout. So restaurant guys, I'm doing my part with carry out and takeout. Uh, but uh, yeah, though you're going to see a lot of resistance. Uh, yeah. The, uh, throughout the state. Yeah, it's just interesting. I'll just make this point one more time. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Toy and the Illinois Restaurant Association. Well, they're tough on Pritzker, but for some reason, D, they're not that tough on Lori Lightfoot. You ever notice that? You ever notice that? Yeah. I didn't know they mentioned that a few times. Isn't that interesting? Well, I know why. I guess... Why? I won't just turn the car around. Oh. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. Mm, she's all why. business man <laughs> yeah good point hadn't thought of that <laughs> all right so that's the local news guys uh we asked all of you on the live stream chat your thoughts on last night's debate who won who lost who watched even um <laughs> you know let us know a lot of people are like no nah, i didn't watch dude but uh we'll read your comments later on uh as we move along here after our interview with ramana hussein Speaking of, that's coming up, everybody. We're going to play some Mike Girardi, and we'll get to Romana. It is. the Oh, by the way, reach out to us, people, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us an email, Show at gmail.com, and you can call us, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. We got a call on Monday. But they didn't leave a message, so I don't know who that was. Leave a message, all right? And there's a good chance we will play your message on the program. All right, it's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in his attic. Ramana Rundown coming up.
problems become big problems, you let small problems get. to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right, it's made entirely out of butter, and it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the President of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's Attorney, over 60 judges, our Water Reclamation District Commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for chicagovotes.com Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9 the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150 and the Chicago Federation of Labor Benny J take it away Every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show, Ramana Hussein joins us, editor columnist for my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome back to the show, Ramana. Hi, welcome. Hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, we are. Now, I was led to believe, I know you had the day off today, that you were going to be in a car driving somewhere, but it doesn't look like you're in a car. I'm not in a car right now. I'm at my mom's house, but I could be moving at some point. Okay. <laughs> All right. We Well, we've just, I reassure you, I think I told you this yesterday, we've had people do these interviews in cars, driving in cars, in the back of cars, walking down the street. Uh, anything's possible. Um, all right. The first thing I want to talk to you about is last night's presidential debate. And I also want to talk to you about uh, Jeffrey Tubingate uh, and uh, Kamala and sneakers, all kinds of things I want to talk about. Um, and uh, but I got to start with the discussion on, on the presidential debate by giving another shout out. I've already done it once to Mark Brown. Uh, sometimes uh, columnist. You wrote a funny column today about the debate, or at least the opening was funny. I don't know if you had a chance to read it. What did he say? Well, here's the, (laughs) this is, it's a lead in. Sorry, Mark. I I was off today. I didn't look at the papers yet, but I will read it. Yes. And then Mark, in Romana's defense, I did not give this to her as a homework assignment. Okay. Usually I give her, because I just stumbled upon this, uh, you know, morning uh, reading uh, the paper and drinking coffee. Uh, After the debacle three weeks ago, this is Mark writing, I wasn't sure I'd even watch the last presidential debate of 2020, let alone write about it. Not only has my mind been made up for four years, (laughs) I already voted. 
Why put myself through the torture? Then the boss called. To my surprise, it was not nearly as painful as I expected. In other words, the only reason he watched it was because his boss made him watch it because they needed him to write oh. a column. Uh, you know, Mark's sentiment is not um, unusual. Um, when I, you know, I always look at my Twitter uh, feed during these debates, and everybody was saying the same thing: like, "Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I watching this?" And you know, a lot of people said, "You know, I already voted, so I don't know why I'm doing this to myself." Clearly, I must like torture. So, like people, people, a lot of people had that sentiment. Some people, I think, didn't watch it, including you, right? That is correct. That's what I was leading up to. Yes, Romana, I watched Borat too. We'll get into that. I could not bring myself to watch ninety minutes of Donald Trump gaslighting. I could not bring myself to it. I knew there was nothing he was going to say that would convince me that he was other anything other than the charlatan racist that he is. And I just could not bring myself to watching it and watching Joe Biden's often feeble responses. Couldn't do it, Ramana. Could not do it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like an obligation to do it. I mean, I just think like at this point, I don't understand who these undecided voters are or how you could be undecided at this point. It just, it, I don't know. I, I, I'm just shocked by anybody who says they don't know who they're, they're going to vote for yet. I think most people I know, like Mark said, probably decided four years ago. So I think that's a good point that Mark made. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. I think they just wanted to see, you know, Joe Biden perform. I think people who support Joe Biden or want to vote for Joe, Joe Biden were just seeing how it was going to go. And this debate, I admit, I said I was watching it for entertainment purposes, and that's in quotes. I'm not saying that politics is entertainment. But, you know, given that the mics, people, they were going to cut off the mics, I just wanted to see if Donald Trump would have his mic cut off. I thought the um, moderator did a really good job. And, you know, you mentioned Donald Trump saying that, you know, you called Donald Trump, you know, somebody that's a you know, has racist tendency or is a racist. And it's funny because at one point he said, I'm the least racist person in this room. The moderator, I believe, is African-American, was African, mm -hmm. is African-American. So, and then he made a comment about uh, undocumented immigrants having low IQ. And then, of course, he put out this, you know, statement that he's been saying for the last uh, couple months, maybe years, I've done more for the African-American community since, <laughs> that, since Abraham Lincoln those kind of comments we heard and those are the those are the ones that kind of stuck out for me too well those those are that's an exact example of the gaslighting yeah uh, from donald trump i've been hearing donald trump say these same things well forever it seems like but definitely yeah. over the last year and that bizarre comparison between himself and abraham lincoln which is just so insulting to absolutely everybody who has to hear it i know uh, and uh so yeah i uh i I, I had to, uh, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. About, uh, I have to admit, uh, as preparation for this show, I dutifully watched clips and read articles and was sickened by everything I read. <laughs> here's my, but here's, I have a couple questions for you. So the bar is so low with Donald Trump and everybody had the same reaction. Mark Brown had this reaction, uh, New York Times writers had the reaction like, well, the issue was, would Donald Trump be rude? Would Donald Trump yeah. play by the rules? Yeah. Would Donald Trump just be more or less a mensch? And my God, he he kind of played by the rules. What a triumph. The bar is so freaking low for this guy, Romana, that yeah. he gets away with murder. 
No, I know. I know. And the sad thing is, like, there's some times where he comes on and he speaks somewhere and everybody's like, wow, he sounded presidential. I mean, he's a president. He's supposed to sound presidential. So I, I, I just... I, you know, it's just really crazy that the bar is so low that, you know, when he talks like a normal person or doesn't interrupt someone, that everybody has to applaud. And I don't think people should. I don't think people should act like, you know, him behaving is like, is so wonderful. He's supposed to be behaving. He's like, he's representing our country as a leader of the United States. It's like, it's really sad. I, I, I just don't get it, you know. I, I made a comment on Twitter, you know, because he was going back. You know how he does that thing with his hands? He goes in and out like and I go, I don't know if I'm watching the president of the United States or an accordion player. It's just, yeah, I know that thing. It's just he kept doing it all. It's really distracting. But, you know, I I just think that most people I don't know. I, I, I think most people have their minds made up. It was just something that people want to see for theatrics, theatric purposes to see whether he was going to interrupt and you know, behave by the rules. I know some people that I know thought that he there were times that he did interrupt and went on a little too long and then he should have had his mic cut off. I didn't see anybody's actually have their mic cut off at, at any point. No. And, you know, it, it was just like, he just took, you know, uh, he basically accused uh, Joe Biden of taking money and like, you know, squandering it. Um, it was just, it, it was, it was, it wasn't something that it, I think everybody was just shocked that it was an actual debate as opposed to like the chaos that we saw last time. Yeah. But I don't think anybody was shocked at what came out of his mouth. I think it was like maybe 10 seconds into the debate where he already called the, you know, coronavirus, you know, the China virus or, you know, alluded to like China over and over again when speaking with the virus in a way that a lot of people would probably say is unsavory. So it, it you know, nothing he said was shocking. So I, I, I have to say that you probably didn't miss much. Uh, well, I, I would concur based on the clips that I saw, and I, I don't even call it a debate. And just I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm thinking about it uh, and the quote unquote entertainment value. And I know you're being uh, uh, sardonic when you wrote that, yeah. uh, but just the notion that there's something entertaining about Donald Trump. Oh, no, shtick no, there after, isn't. You know? no, there isn't. There isn't. I, I, I really don't think it's it's actually kind of sad. It's like that this is the country, this is the United States, you know, and, you know, some people do find some of his antics funny, but it's not funny, you know, anymore. I I, I know when I meant entertainment value, I'm like, I just want to see where this, if this is going to be a train wreck again. I mean, it's a train wreck in a different way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now, what do you think of what Joe Biden did? I've watched enough Biden clips. It's funny because I'm reading all these articles about the debate. And it's almost as like Joe Biden is an afterthought. You know, it's like, what did Trump do? What did Trump yeah. say? What lies did he tell? Did he interrupt? Did he did he pray? Oh, my God. Ramada, they gave him such attention because he praised the moderator. It's like a routine thing in a debate. Yeah. Thank you. You say thank you. So what do <laughs> yeah. you think? I, yeah, I, think, I do think that Joe Biden is always an afterthought. You know, I think people want to walk to see if he can hold his own, you know, against Trump when you're, you know, speaking with Trump, it's probably got to be pretty challenging. So I think everybody just wants to see if Joe Biden does a good enough job so that those who people who are undecided whether or not um, that would, you know, help his cause. You know, I think I think Donald Trump at one point said said Kamala Harris was, you know, more left than Bernie Sanders, which a lot of my friends got a kick out of. So there was um, I think Joe Biden always plays the nice guy like I don't know. I know a lot of people wish that he would go a little harder, but I think I think he I think he's doing I think that's his strategy to, to be as civil as possible. 
Well, the bar is pretty low with Joe Biden as well. Yeah. Uh, in a different way. I know. Yeah, because with Joe Biden, the issue is always, uh, will he be able to exit a sentence that he enters? Uh, and will it be more or less cogent what he has to say? Yeah, uh, I and know. He, he had the one thing where he made the uh, the poor boy mistake. I don't know if oh, you yeah, know. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the poor boy. Instead of saying the um, proud the, boys, the proud boys, he called them poor boy. Yeah, I saw a lot of people on Twitter were laughing about that. Yeah, but that's the kind of I mean, I was telling Dennis this as a guy who's my whole life has suffered with, with dyslexia. Uh, that's the kind of ex- excusable mistake. That's the kind yeah. of Richard Richard M. Daly mistake that For people sure. tolerate. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, some you you kind of are on the spot. And I think for anybody who's debating, you know, there's going to be points where, you know, you might not remember a certain point And afterwards you're like, oh, God, did I just say that? So it happens to all of us. I mean, I'm sure when I'm on your show, I forget things or <laughs> call, call different people by different names. It happens. So I don't blame him for that. I, I think I think he's done a pretty decent job on the debate so far. Um, this is Joe Biden I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, as you know, and like you said, the bar is pretty low. I mean, we have like these two older baby boomers. You know, <laughs> I knew the baby boomer reference was coming. Running for president, oh. you know, I, I, I think I told you this. You know, I was my family. I, I might have told you. I'm not going to say how I voted, but a lot of people in my family voted for Bernie Sanders and was telling my mom about Bernie Sanders. And my mom keeps hearing his name, and she never saw his picture. And then, like close to the primary, she sees his picture, and she's like, "Oh my god, he's so old! I thought he was going to be a young guy. He's like so old." And she's like, she goes, everybody's so old in this race. So it's it's, it's kind of funny. It is all, funny. I think we it, all notice that. And, you know, of course, everybody's looking at both of these guys um, debating and they're like, oh, my God, these guys are both really old. But <laughs> <laughs> it's OK. I mean, I'm not an ageist. I think, and you know, people could any age group can be, pre- you know, at present as long as they are that 35 year old threshold, I guess. But yes. Uh, by the way, I should tell you that um, I've, I've corrected you on this point many times, and I will do it many more times. Joe Biden is technically not a baby boomer. Oh, he's yeah, too sorry. old to be a baby oh, yeah. boomer. He's like uh, um, the, that. Um, I forgot what generation is called before the um, before the I, baby boomers. It's not the great generation. I have no idea. It's like they're, the forgotten generation. Yeah, they're, just, they're, they're, they have a name because I remember at one time because Joe Biden was probably born in the. 40s, right? 42. I 42. believe it was 42. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're not the they're not the boomers. But, no, they're World Trump. War II babies. Yes, <laughs> Donald Trump. He's the first wave of baby boomer. He's born, I believe, in 46. So he is a baby boomer. And it's part of the reason why I'm so hard on baby boomers. Our worthless generation produced Donald John Trump, Bill Clinton. Need <laughs> I go on and on? Uh, by the way, now I'm going to make fun of your generation. Oh yeah. Gen- oh, yeah. Gen X is like a lot of people make fun of Gen Xers, too. So, well, this I got to do this. I've been holding back on this. And um my uh, dear friend, uh, former partner, partner in crime, and your husband is responsible for this, McDumkey. So, as you know, I'm utterly obsessed with the movie uh, Chicago uh, 7. We're going to probably get into yeah. the Chicago 7 movie. I've written about it. I'm going to talk about it later today with Sergio Mims. Anyway, uh, so Mick, who shares my obsession with it, sent me a... Um, a tape of an interview that Studs Terkel did in 1988. I don't know if you listened to this as no, well. No, I heard. I heard him. I I was. I think I was taking a shower and I came out and I heard him listening to it. But uh, it was with Abby Hoffman and Bobby Seale, I believe. Yeah, and David Dellinger, three mm-hmm. members of the Chicago Seven. A fascinating interview. 
1988. It was the 20th anniversary of the yep. uh, the the riots, the police riots in 1968. That's why I saw the movie in high school. But we can talk about that. We'll be talking about that. Yes. Uh, But anyway, so in uh, this interview, this is 1988. And in this interview, Abby Hoffman and Bobby Seals are talking about how there's a generational divide. And that uh, the younger generation that is coming up is it baffles them, Bobby Seal and uh, Abby Hoffman, how clueless this generation <laughs> is. Okay, now just to remind, this is 1988, so oh, that yeah. generation he's talking about is your generation. Oh, of course, <laughs> I was I was a teenager then, so yeah, um, yeah. Oh, Generation Xers, we were made fun of a lot. We were called the slacker generation, and uh, they would basically, you know, we were the generation that was basically. Um, I don't know. There's so many jokes about us. And, and even now we're kind of like the forgotten generation because there's always like these, you know, these memes or these discussions about um, millennials versus boomers. And nobody talks about Gen Xers. We're like, nobody cares. about us. Well, and, and we have a lot. We have a lot of problematic people in our generation, too. So, well, I, I think every generation, best. every generation yeah. has its issues. But the, the, the joke of it was that Abby Hoffman was reflecting about how he goes to high schools and college campuses. Yeah. And somehow or other, the uh, subject of Malcolm uh, X, X comes up uh-huh. and he says that, well, the college kids, when they see me, they go, you mean Malcolm 10? Oh, my God. And, and they thought it was okay. Malcolm. <laughs> I, was, I read Malcolm X when I was 17 and I knew who Malcolm X was. So okay. I can I can tell you that much. I wasn't that clueless. I knew who Malcolm X was, but I didn't know who he was until I was a teenager. I, I found out who he was because a friend of mine told me about the book yeah. and he told me to read it actually before I was assigned to it in school. So I did read it when I was a teenager. Right. So I knew who I knew who Malcolm X was. I wasn't. And so you knew his clueless. name was Malcolm X, not Malcolm 10. Exactly. Uh, I actually didn't know who Abby Hoffman was until I learned more about the 68 riots. And, and then I remember him being in this movie that we're going to be talking about later. I know the movie I, I just saw, I saw the one, the Chicago seven movie on Netflix, but we'll also talk about another movie that I was shown in class later today. Yeah. So that's well, when I learned, I left when I learned about Abby Hoffman. Well, I urge everybody, I'm going to, uh, I should post it. That interview that studs Turkle did with Abby Hoffman. And thank you, Mick Dumpke for sending it to me. Um, was just fascinating. I Abby Hoffman is a really interesting person. Uh, he has a lot to say. He was going through some really rough times. Yeah, Romano, when he gave that interview, he spoke a year before he committed suicide. Yeah, uh, so he's you could tell he was battling depression and really? um, yeah, and it's just it's so different. The the, the real Abby Hoffman uh, is so different than the caricature who was presented in the movie. I urge everybody to check it out. But I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The central conceit that every generation, the central uh, struggle that every generation uh, has to confront is whether it's betrayed uh, its values. Every every generation betrays its values, right? Everybody, every generation talks about how, you know, they're against the man. I mean, the boomers, like they're all about like the counterculture and I mean, Jerry Rubin, one of the Chicago Seven guys. I mean, he became a stockbroker, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not that they're not there's anything wrong with the stockbroker, but I'm sure his his ideas were basically probably an, an antithesis of what a lot of stockbrokers thought or how they lived their lives. And not to say that you know making money is anything wrong. I mean, I'm a child of immigrants, so even even when counterculture people always talk about this and that, I'm like, well, I was raised a little different. You have to be a little practical, but I do think there are 
generations. I think a lot of it's lip service also. I think there were a lot of kids like in the 60s where they just wanted to be there to be part of the scene. They don't really believe. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't believe any of this stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't that serious of a matter to them as it was for like a say an Abby Hoffman character. And I also remember, you know, just learning about Abby Hoffman and then like a year later or two years later, he committed suicide. So I, I remember reading all the articles in the papers because I was like, wait, I just learned about this guy. And it was just the 20th anniversary. And now he killed himself. So yeah. I, I do vividly remember that. No, the baby. I'm with you 100 percent with baby boomers. Uh, very disappointed with my generation. And by and large, again, Bill Clinton. And Donald Trump. There you go. I say no more. Okay. But you guys had, but baby boomers had a lot of good musicians too. All right. Well, that they're not all bad. I mean, I'm a baby boomer. Not all of us are bad. You're on the younger uh, spectrum. I mean, Gen. I make fun of Gen Xers too. I make fun of millennials too. But um, that's just part of being an older person, I guess. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I didn't even realize that. The, it was Gen Xers who first exposed me to like the stereotype of the millennial. And they, that's a long time ago, but they couldn't stand millennials and making fun of them, which I think is funny. Um, all right, let's move on and talk about the other thing I've been uh, really uh, curious to get your thoughts on. I haven't had a conversation with you about it. This broke uh, since uh, you were last on the show. Jeffrey Tubin, <laughs> the, um, the New Yorker uh, writer and uh, CNN correspondent, of course, mm-hmm. uh, was caught masturbating on a zoom conference call um we'll just start with the general question and we'll take it from there ramana your thoughts uh i just don't understand why anybody would be naked on a zoom call let alone masturbating i know it speaks to larger issues but i just don't know why you would do that i guess some people find it thrilling to know that they can get caught with it get caught with you know masturbating while there's a zoom meeting going on I, I read that that he was so he was doing a Zoom meeting with uh, staff members of the New Yorker and the um, the public radio station in New York, isn't it WNYC? Um, right, and yeah. yeah, and so they were having this meeting, and all of a sudden he like jumps on, but it wasn't him. Like his square basically had, you could see his penis, I believe, and his hand on his penis, and then like. A couple seconds later, I think it blanked out. And then he, like a few minutes later, like, I don't know, it was a couple seconds, he's on it, like, you know, with his face. And everybody, I think, was kind of shocked. I think the meeting kind of just went on from what I read. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, I don't know, if someone did that that at the Sun-Times, I would think that our bosses (laughs) would just stop the meeting. But I think everybody might have just been in shock. And I don't know, I just think... I just think that behavior is just inexcusable. And I know a lot of journalists and a lot of people felt like, why do the, why do journalists feel like they have to come to his defense? I mean, what is wrong is wrong. You know, if, if some guy in a workplace, you're sitting there talking and all of a sudden he took off his pants in a, in a staff room news meeting that was in person, everybody would think that was inappropriate, wouldn't they? Mm. Um, I, I just find it. I mean, yeah, you're in the privacy of your own home. And I mean, there's been times, I mean, Mick makes fun of me while I'm running out of the shower and I'm like on my work, um, I, I, on my computer, but I have a towel wrapped around me and I'm not on a Zoom meeting. I would never go on a Zoom meeting like, you know, just right out of the shower. I mean, I always make sure I'm like, have my clothes on. And this is different than some guy. I know a lot of guys and a lot of people are wearing like a shirt on top and then they have like, you know, their 
or shorts or even like if they're wearing their underwear, like, you know, boxers. I'm not talking about like really like Speedos or anything like that, but like that's okay. Like there's been like news reporters, I think a lot of guys, anchors, like by accident, like they stood up and they're wearing their shorts or boxers. Like that's completely different than actually having your naked penis like out there. It's just I don't know how I don't know how you could. And then his whole excuse is like, I don't know the camera was on, but even if it wasn't on, why is your junk out of your I'm with you 100%. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think he should be fired? Um, I think, don't you think he would have been fired if it was in a board? If I, if I had a news meeting and some guy just pulled it out during a board meeting or a newsroom meeting, wouldn't the guy get fired? Yes. So if what's the difference? He knew, he knew that there was a meeting going on. So why, why were you exposing yourself? Yeah. So I'm not sure. I don't think it's, I think it's a fireable offense. I am uh, with you. And and it's funny, I, the way it, there's so many issues here, but one of the fallouts is like, like everything else in this country, it it gets, has a political edge to it. So it it becomes like political. Liberals have an attitude versus conservatives. Jeffrey Tubin is largely a liberal. He's classic liberal. Yeah. Uh, And um, he just wrote a book, very critical of Trump, which is a bestseller. So Liberals feel compelled to defend him, or some liberals do, and conservatives are castigating him. And I'm like reading this stuff, Ramana, knowing that if the roles were reversed and he was a conservative writer, they would just be playing their part. Are people incapable of like making a decision that is not somehow or other influenced by what team the person is on? Exactly. And I don't agree with that. And I've told you that before. I think just because you like someone and you like their views doesn't mean that they can't be held accountable for, for wrongdoings that they do. And, you know, I, Louis CK, Louis, is it Louis CK was such a popular comic at one yeah. point. And the fact that he like just started like, you know, jacking off. Sorry. Can I say that? Or yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> podcast. You can say anything you want. <laughs> or uh, masturbating in front of these two friends that he had. Mm-hmm. I mean, that wasn't acceptable. And so I just think it, that kind of behavior is unacceptable. I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think any woman would want that happening to her in, in person, you know? So the fact that it's like the fact that you're just doing it at your home, you can, you, okay. You can go and do that in your home after the zoom meetings over, I don't know if that's what you get your kicks on, but clearly he gets his kicks knowing that everybody can, you know, there's potential that someone could be watching him. So I don't know. I I think just, it it doesn't matter what that person's political angle is. I think, I think it could be seen as a fireball offense. Uh, I'm with you on that one. And, uh, one of the, the bizarre ironies of it all, uh, Jeffrey Tubin among, I think his first, uh, noteworthy book, uh, was about O.J. Simpson and the O.J. Simpson trial. And he was very critical of the prosecutors and critical of the jury uh, and uh, obviously felt like many Americans that uh, O.J. Simpson got off. <laughs> so fast forward 20 years, guess who gets to weigh in on Jeffrey Tubin? O.J. Simpson. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, I was like, 
I think Mick looked it up. Mick didn't even know this was happening. Like, it, it was funny. This happened all on Monday. And that's what everybody's laughing at. They go, Monday feels like such a long time ago. And they're like, yeah. because, you know, the Rudy Giuliani video came out from Borat. So, like, Mick and I took the week off. And we were at the Art Institute. And then after the Art Institute, um, I stopped by at the jewelers to get my, my diamond, my, my engagement and wedding ring kind of cleaned up because they were opened. And then I saw I saw the information about um, I saw the saw Jeffrey Tubin trending, and I'm sure you heard that Zoom Dick was also trending on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, "What is this, Ramona? You I, are I, filthy today." I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So then I opened it up, and then I was like, "What?" And then you know, Mick was at a record store. He goes, "Why well, you go do that?" why don't I go get, go look at some records? And I told him, I'm like, did you hear about what happened? And he's like, Oh my God, really? And he didn't read about it until the day later. And then he showed me the OJ Simpson um, video on Twitter. He, yeah. he saw that OJ t- tweeted about it. He just said, Jeffrey Tuman, Oh man. Or yeah. Something like that. So it's like, OJ. Yeah. Uh, OJ is so happy. He gets a little revenge here. By the way, uh, Mick was at a record store because he was buying Bruce Springsteen's latest record. He'll be on the show next week, totally geeking out about Bruce Springsteen. And uh, Ramana heard us talking about this on the phone the other day. Uh, this is going to be a total geek out session because Mark is yeah. coming on too. The two of those guys love Bruce Springsteen. I, more than should be a lot but they're 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 more uh, nerdy about it they're so nerdy about it but anyway uh mick and i decided uh dennis you haven't heard this uh we're gonna play some bruce Springsteen uh excerpts and see if he sues us Okay. <laughs> you should have seen Dennis's face, Ramana. Uh, well, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on to the all-important topic. I sent this to you. I can't believe I sent this to you. It's a little embarrassing, my love for Kamala Harris. Kamala and sneakers. Uh, we'll, we won't spend too much time on this, uh, but uh, that generated a lot of talk on Twitter as well. People were... Like the notion of a vice presidential candidate wearing Converse All-Stars? Um, you know what? The funny thing is, like, so she wore it maybe a, a few weeks back. And then, uh, you know, it was like a big news story. This is like months ago. And then Mick's like, she always has worn Converse. So I think I think a little slowly people are watching that she wears these Converse. So it's nothing new. But yeah, it's cool that she wears Converse. I think all of us have probably, all of us probably on the show have had a pair, correct? Oh my goodness! I no, could do I, a whole story on me and Converse. Go ahead, Ramon. But but they're they're you know they're actually uncomfortable shoes. I yes. had them when I was a young woman. Yes. I actually um and then like in the middle, um I've had a couple pairs and then right now I actually have a velvet pair. They're like they're not high tops but they're low tops and they're velvet and they have like silver things all over them. So they're a little more they're a little more sparkly. So I think everybody likes Converse and especially um the Gen Xers really like Converse. No. I have to say. Yeah, I love them and I I don't know how people play basketball with them. No, they're they're ridiculous. Back in the day, I could go on and on about this. Back in the day when I was a kid, Romana, uh, I wore Converse All-Stars to play basketball. In. And now when I wear them, I, I can't wear Converse All-Stars because they don't have enough support for my no. old man feet. You and, even, uh, if you walk yeah. on them for a long time, I remember one time I was going to go walking or I was going to go on a trip and I was like packing my Converse All-Star. And my sister's like, my younger sister's like, you know, they're really uncomfortable. You can't really walk in them for that long. Like if you're going to walk for several, several hours, she's like maybe one or two hours, but and then I realized, yeah, they, they aren't the most comfortable. They're cool. They're cool looking shoes. No, but, they're, um, I'm, I'm starting to wonder maybe they made them better back in the day. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Before we go on uh, uh, Romana's recommendations, I got to ask you, I didn't. Uh, 
Blago. Did you read the story in the bright one by Tommy Shuba about Blago at the, um, uh, where was it? The, the debate watching party. I'll tell you if you, if you missed it, I'll just, no, uh, I didn't, I didn't. Okay. I was out of town for a few days or like two days at least. So, all right. Well, young Thomas Shuba, one of my favorite reporters from the sun times, uh, did a story about Blago, uh, at a uh, debate watching party. And the whole thing is like, it's, uh, Blago was a, a debate watching party about uh, filled with black people for Trump. Oh yeah, I've so heard, common, I heard about that. <laughs> yes, the I've combination. What what is it about? Do you feel? I have to ask you this. I think it was in Wicker Park too, right? It was like one of those. Hipster no, it was downtown. It was in Trump Tower. Oh, and, okay. and originally it was yeah. in some sort of hipster like neighborhood. So. What is it? I have, I find I have no I find no attraction to Rob Blagojevich as a uh, like a just as a political rebel, as a political character, as somebody who I would want to emulate. And yet it seems like MAGA is falling in love with Rod Blagojevich. Help me out here. Uh, I, 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 it's got to be because Donald Trump pardoned him. Right. So then. uh Rod Blagojevich went on and on about, you know, how wonderful Donald Trump is. And and then, you know, Patty Blagojevich was always, you know, on Fox News, like, you know, asking Trump to uh, pardon her husband. So, you know, maybe it's that connection. Maybe a lot of Fox News viewers watched Patty Blagojevich and watched, you know, the whole drama unfold when he was released from prison. So maybe that's the connection. I can only think that's a connection well, i certainly find it <laughs> bizarre how, to say how the many least people were there that's my question i, I forget uh young t- I, I forget it wasn't that crowded uh i mean it's hard to find you know like black people who were willing to and they were wearing the QAnon hat i mean it was so bizarre you know like wearing the QAnon hat which is a perfect transition uh transition into ramana's recommendations uh, I'll talk about Borat later because QAnon plays a role in it. Uh, but uh, your recommendation, Romana? So we were talking about um, Aaron Sorkin's film, The Chicago Seven. Um, I know we, I know you've talked about it with Mick, my husband, about uh, some of the inaccuracies from the Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. I actually, I enjoyed it, but while watching it, I mean, I'm not saying I was an expert in the Chicago Seven, but I'm like, okay, that never happened. I doubt that happened. <laughs> like, you know, they have, they have that whole scene where Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin are sitting outside the Field Museum and they bump into the prosecutor while he's with his two kids. Okay, that didn't happen. I, I, I knew like there was like different, definitely scenes in the film where I'm like, I know that didn't happen. Um, so I don't know that bothers uh, Mick and I. We always talk about how like truth is stranger than fiction. We don't know why these filmmakers always embellish everything. Um, the prosecutor in the case never stood up um, <laughs> out of respect for all the oh, yeah. you know the men that were killed in Vietnam. So you know it was entertaining. But then you know I told you a couple weeks ago I mentioned to you how I saw a movie in high school about uh about the, the the trial and so what's interesting is that i got a tweet um a, a guy uh, one of our one of your listeners um and one of my twitter followers i'm sure he follows the ben Drowski show on twitter as well his name is donald lewis mm-hmm. he basically pointed out that the uh movie i was probably talking about was the um made for cable film called conspiracy the trial of the chicago eight and the movie is actually, I'm going to go rewatch it because it's on Amazon um, right now. And it was made in 1987, so which makes perfect sense. And it, I bet we watched this on the 20, at the 20 year anniversary of um, 
the 68 um, riots. So um, it the he said that, you know, basically I, I was reading about it and this movie is basically more realistic and it's all taken off of the transcript of the actual, you know, court, the, the actual trial. So I think I want to rewatch that again. I would recommend that to everyone. I, I definitely want to watch that movie. I, I missed it. I thought you were talking about a play, but it was actually no. a movie. So uh, I, was, I was I thought it was like a play that they videotaped. But now that I think about it, it was probably the reason why I probably thought that it was because I think the whole movie is based inside a courtroom. There's like no scenes of like, you know, these like hippies or hippies, um, like, you know, out and about, you know, in Grand Park. I think it was just all in the trial. Well, I on the trial. I um. I've talked at length about the Chicago uh, seven movie and all the inaccuracies and wrote a story about it. I'm probably going to have another interview next week with uh, uh, somebody who was uh, very uh, active in the uh, political movement back in the day. But I happen to read an article uh, by uh, Jerry Rubin, uh, his, I don't know if they were married either his uh, lover or his wife. I, but uh, she was with him uh, at the time they were dating. Uh, and it was, um, her name is uh, Nancy Kirshen. It's in Counterpunch. And I rec- if everybody's into this, uh, I recommend uh, that they read this article because it gets into sort of how the movie distorted the, uh, the people, uh, the, the actual um, activists. But one thing that I was stunned to learn uh, is that 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 event when uh, that moment where they confronted Schultz, that's his name, Richard Schultz, the um, mm-hmm. prosecutor. Uh, the, I thought that was made up just like you. It turned out, according to Nancy, this Nancy Rubin, that it's true. I'll read it. Oh, to really? You. Oh, okay. yeah, I'll read it to you. But it, it, again, it, it's based on something that's true. And for whatever reason, Sorkin felt compelled to alter it. This is this is oh. the part that really drives me nuts. You know, the, it's like. They just can't let the truth be the truth. You got to distort it. So here's what uh, Nancy wrote. I have it in front of me. I recall Abby Hoffman, Abby Hoffman's uh, wife, Jerry and I escaping to the Museum of Science Industry high on what was then an illegal substance when we bumped into Schultz. Abby called him out as a Shanda for the Goyam, which is Yiddish for a front of the white Anglo-Saxon establishment. He did not wish us a good day. So uh, that just sums it up in the oh, movie. So, yeah, go ahead. So I, I had no idea that really happened. I was like, there's no way that happened. So I made that up. I was just like, that can't happen. But I was with you, though. When I saw it, I go, no way. No. Yeah. But, OK, so they had it. They again, you can't just let it be what it was. Yeah. They met at the science industry building. He switches it to the field music. It's the little things. Why you got to switch yeah. it? And then, you know what? Just just that's actually a better story about them using the Yiddish words, I would think. It is. It uh, it is. And, and uh, Abby Hoffman was always taught. Abby Hoffman was Jewish. He spoke mm-hmm. Yiddish and he was always taunting the Jews on the other side. It's like yeah. calling him Uncle Tom's. Exactly. It's effectively calling him an Uncle Tom. Yeah, it's like Indian people calling um, Indian people who try to like appease the whites. We call them uh, coconut and potato and, you know, self-hating Indians. So. Well, that's exactly what Abby Hoffman was doing. And Aaron Sorkin threw that out of the scuff. I guess yeah. he didn't want any Yiddish. She didn't want, you know, he had it. And of course, he had to turn Schultz uh, into this favorable character, which is totally uh, made up. All right. Now, I have to tell you this, Ramana, you're getting an assignment. You have to watch Borat. OK, you have 
to watch it. I will watch it. I don't know if my I don't know if Mick will watch it. He was telling me how he did. I went I went to the theater to watch the other one. I thought it was a little over the top, and I thought you know, but I still will watch it because I'm curious, especially after the Rudy Giuliani controversy. Well, I could tell you this. I watched it last night. I will probably watch it again. Uh, I was a fan of Borat One, so. If, if you're not a fan of Borat One, I don't think you'll like this one. I was but, a fan. I just didn't think it was like. I just thought it was a little over the top. But I'll, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, this one is a little more restrained than okay. the first one. Okay, yeah. but the scene with Rudy Giuliani. I said this earlier. And I'll say it again. I think Rudy Giuliani, instead of being mad at Sasha Baron Cohen, should be thanking him in oh, a weird way right. because. He I saved Rudy Giuliani from doing something really stupid. I can tell you that a friend of mine sent me the clip from the film. So I did see that part already. Um, I just don't know anybody who would tuck in their shirts while laying down. But I've never seen uh, that happen before. All right. Uh, we will have a greater, a more detailed discussion of this next week because Romana will by then have seen the movie. So you'll see the whole, did you, did your friend send you the whole entire? No, he just okay. sent me the minute and a half of that whole like scene when he's talking to the, you know, fake reporter, yeah. the actress playing the reporter, and then they go into the hotel room and then he just like, Plop, lays down. Okay. You really have to see it from start to finish, which begins with an interview in another yeah. room. Uh, and you can watch the shameless flirting. And in defense of Rudy Giuliani, words I thought I would never say. Uh, he kind of, she led him on. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Uh, uh, and again, I'll say, I've said this before. It's an actress is 24 years old. The character she was playing is 15. So as far as Rudy Giuliani was concerned, he was with a 15-year-old girl in a hotel room. Yep. Just want to leave that out there, America, before you go make your decision as to who you're going to vote for. All right, Romana, that's your assignment for next week. Roch Borat, we'll be talking about it. Uh, and uh, also listen to the, the new Bruce Springsteen record. Uh, I, I already have. I think Mick has played it on Spotify. Do you like it? Uh, I like some of the songs. I like some of the songs. I, I, I admit I don't like all of Springsteen's newer stuff, but there's always a couple songs I like on his newer albums. All right. Well, I think uh, Mick is doing uh, cartwheels with joy over the new Bruce Springsteen album. We'll be talking about it next week. All right, Romana, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week, okay? Okay. Talk to you later. That's a great Romana show. D, what you got for me? You there? All right. Yes, I'm here. Thought Some I lost weird you stuff happened with that uh, with the screen. <laughs> Thought I lost you for a second. Uh, boy, what a filthy conversation you guys just had, huh? <laughs> Jay Marie, yeah. Jay Marie on the live stretch. He says, "Hey guys, I just logged in and we're talking about masturbation. What the hell?" Yeah, I know. What can I tell you? Hey, it's in the news, Jamie. I can't help myself. All right. We do have some updates here before we roll. Uh, first off, I asked the live stream chat their thoughts on last night's debate. Come on, man. All right. Jim Irwin on the live stream chat says the debate went pretty much as I expected. Trump was sedated or something, but then that started wearing off as the debate went along. Mute button must have been broke. Jim says. Mm -hmm. Kyle. I wonder if he was sedated. I hadn't thought of that. Kyle says, uh, hey, I didn't watch the debate last night. One, because I respect myself. <laughs> That's a good point. And he yeah. says, two, I couldn't possibly learn anything from that farce. Yeah. And three, I'm a week behind watching the G1 Climax. So I'm catching up. That's Japanese wrestling, Ben. 
Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for that. I helped. Uh, I needed that. I agree with uh, basically uh, everything Kyle said there, except for the G1 wrestling. I was watching Borat and Kyle, I urge you to go watch it uh, yourself. Uh, I think that in many ways, a very insightful movie about where we are in a country right now. And we'll be talking about it a lot next week. I just got to let people get caught up uh, and watch it. And by the way, one more time. Sergio Mims and I were having a conversation about Borat and the Chicago 7 conspiracy movie. We'll be doing that at about 4 o'clock, and we'll drop it on Saturday, correct, D? That's correct. Yeah, thank you, sir. <laughs> I'm also, uh, I need to catch up on the G1 Climax as well, Kyle. Uh, all right, before we ride out of here for the weekend, it is time to step into the Illinois Conservative Conspiracy Corner. Oh, my God. And sadly, it seems like the Pritzker sucks movement is growing stronger in Illinois. The magic number is 11. We're 11 days until election day. Positive COVID-19 test results have risen, meaning more mitigation efforts are taking place across the state. And the following email comes from the overly concerned citizens of the Milton Township Republican Organization. Ben, you tell me, but I think uh, they may be going a little overboard here. The email says... Please vote early. Many Republicans like to vote on Election Day, not this year. With Governor Pritzker putting new COVID-19 restrictions on predominantly Republican counties, we are anticipating an Election Day surprise, limiting the number of voters in a polling place. The Democrats know that Republicans like to see their vote counted, as opposed to the Democrats who have voted by mail for years. This is a way to further suppress the Republican vote. Don't let this happen. Vote now. Wow. That's what they call projection, folks. That's 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 wow. I, I don't even know. Where, where is Milton Township? Do you know, D? I'll look it up. I mean, that's just projection. There's so much wrong with that. Like Democrats been voting by mail more than Republicans for years. Voting by mail. This is like a, kind of a new thing. And by the way, the Republicans won by the vote by mail in the congressional race in California. A lot of Republicans are voting by mail. It's like a balancing act that the Trump is doing and the trying to uh, discourage people from voting by mail and make people think it's a fraud. He's on one hand saying Trump votes by mail, by the way, Milton Township Republicans. Oh, we didn't know that. I'm a Republican from Milton Township. I mean, there's so much wrong with that statement. It just shows you where we are. And then like... Pritzker's picking on Republican counties? The sh- Man, we got Pritzker and Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. You got nothing to complain about Milton Township, wherever you are. Does the mayor of Milton Township? I don't even know what Township has a mayor. Milton Township in DuPage County, uh, oh. around Wheaton, Lombard, Carroll Street. All, right. All right, Milton Township in DuPage County. Does the mayor of Wheaton say, I'm going to lock you up? Huh? <laughs> I don't think so. So in Chicago, in Democratic Chicago, we deal with Pritzker and Lightfoot. So it's not like they're picking on Milton Township. It's like, like J.B. Pritzker's like, let me think this out. I know what I'll do. I won't let people dine in Milton Township, and that will discourage people from voting. You're freaking making it up as you go along, Milton Township. You're projecting. 
The only hope Donnie Trump has to win re-election is to suppress the vote in the states of the suppress the black vote in the states of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia. He's made it clear. He's transparent about that. So now Milton Township, it's like, oh, what we're going to do is pretend as though J.B. Pritzker is trying to repress the vote in Milton Township. They don't suppress the vote in Milton Township. Milton Township. What a bunch of jokers, D. All right. Don't expect a live show from Milton Township anytime soon from the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, by the way, Frank weighed in. He said he fell asleep during the debate. <laughs> Frank, watch Borat. Watch Borat, Frank. You'll be you, <laughs> you won't fall asleep during Borat, I, I assure you. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Republican state representatives from Southern Illinois are on the road. Remember, we talked about this a while back, Ben. They're on a bus, a bus campaign. Uh, they're going across the state holding rallies for what they call the Restore Illinois Bus Tour. They stopped in Springfield on Thursday. And hey, your boy, DB. Darren Bailey, Republican out of Xenia, Illinois, was at the Springfield stop. He told the crowd his efforts in the courts against Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID-19 executive orders are crucial to restoring Illinois. And he's succeeding. Here's the quote from your boy, DB, Darren Bailey, your boy. He says, this man has got to pay the price. He has devastated families. He is devastating Ugh. businesses. He is destroying Illinois. And I believe now every day that goes by the reasons and the proof of that grow. Bailey claims the governor is trying to destroy the state's economy to be first in line for a federal bailout. Wow. Oh, one more quote here. Wow. <laughs> one more quote. Yeah. Who's going to feed those hogs? <laughs> I thought that was coming. Hey, DP, I believe you worried about the federal bailout for Illinois when I see you stop taking federal money for farmers. Okay, DP, until then, I don't want to hear about it. Republicans love taking money when it's going to them. But when it goes to somebody else, they don't like it so much. Right? You got Kenny G spending millions of dollars to fight the fair tax, so he pays less in taxes. Right? But then he's like teaming up. Oh, Lori, life what's right. Because she's going to fire some garbage truck workers. So come on, Republicans. You guys are so full of it. You can't have an honest debate with a Republican. Here's DB. Oh, God, it's horrible that the federal government would help restaurants. Horrible, horrible, I tell you. Meanwhile, he's got that big paw out for the subsidies for the farmers. Big paw out there. Yeah, those Republicans, man. Rules for thee, not for me. And finally, Kenny G. Ken Griffin. Damn, dude. <laughs> what do you do now? Hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin slammed Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker as a, quote, shameless master of personal tax avoidance. This was in a Thursday email to his Chicago employees that criticized the governor's push for a graduated income tax rate. Uh, the email said, quote, and this is Ken Griffin. 
I'm not willing to stand by as, once again, spineless politicians try to sell a trick disguised as a solution, particularly not from a governor who, having inherited a great deal of wealth, has worked so diligently to avoid paying taxes himself. He goes on, but you get the point. Wait, time out. Did he mention Trump in that? Wait, let me look. No, he did not. Isn't that interesting, Kenny G? You're all up in arms about people inherit money. Donnie inherited money. Why don't you bash him? You're all up in arms about people who dodged the tax man. Donnie dodged the tax man. Why don't you uh, rip him? Huh? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> One more time, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if there's a Republican in America these days who has principles. It's just tactics in a fight. Oh, and I guess, you know, since we did talk about that, uh, Ken Griffin kind of ripping on Pritzker for the fair tax. That was a fair tax update. Fair tax update. Ben, I hear that phone ringing. Springfield politicians, (laughs) they promise they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional amendment passes. But their measure lets them increase income taxes on every group of taxpayers, including retirees. I hope after November 3rd, I don't hear of you again, Phyllis. (laughs) Phyllis, come on, Phyllis. Shame on you. By the way, Kenny G, it's not just uh, kicking a dough, Ray, me uh, to fight the fair tax so he pays less in taxes. I just saw this in the Tribune, D. Article of the Tribune. Let me open it up. Here we go. Uh, page three of the Tribune. Alice Yin. Good job. Uh, Pat O'Brien, who's running against Kim Fox, has some wealthy backers as well. Billionaire Citadel CEO Ken Kenny G. Griffin poured in a hundred grand. How about that, D? He's kicking in money to Pat O'Brien. There you go. He'll save Chicago (laughs) before it's too late. Dude, I already gave 50 bucks to Phyllis. Springfield politicians. Phyllis, man. Hold on. Phyllis, stop calling me, okay? I'm sick of that commercial. Anyway, Kenny G supporting Pat O'Brien D. Isn't that interesting? Uh, It's disgusting. All right, everybody. Make sure to check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, While we're away bonus interviews for you to play. That's right. On Saturday, we're talking with Sergio Mims. He's the director of the Black Harvest Film Festival. He's going to be talking about Borat, too. By the way, Ben, way to go not doing a Borat impression on today's show. Proud of you. Uh, I I don't have one. That's my problem. Thank (laughs) God. Uh, So Sergio Mims is going to be talking Borat, too, and more. Uh, Sunday, the Chicago Reader's Mike Sula is talking restaurants, food, and how the hell restaurants are adjusting to the COVID-19 restrictions. And finally, on Monday, State Senator Robert Peters. It's going to be a great interview. Go download those. They'll be available by 5 a.m. on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Follow us online. Send us an email. Call us, 708-658-4788. Ben, let's go home. All right. Very good. I want to thank Ramon Hussein. Pride and joy of the Chicago Sun-Times. Doing an outstanding job. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend. Dr. D, they call him back home and all. I thought I'd flip it up. Excuse Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody.